Welcome to episode 209 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on December 18th, 2020. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss a topic or recent news and how it relates to you. Today, despite the holidays, there is still news to discuss as we talk about some new features near and dear to Scott's heart in Azure Storage, some updates to the Microsoft Authenticator app, and some of Ben's woes running office insider builds to those of you that celebrate christmas merry christmas eve those of you that don't happy holidays happy hanukkah happy i don't know i saw there's like 14 holidays between november 20 and january like five or six quite a few yes yeah 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 Yeah. so yes happy holidays everyone should hopefully get the chance to recharge a little bit like 2020 has been a year. <laughs> it's still 2020. It is, yeah. At Microsoft from the outside, it always felt like everybody disappeared around this time of year because they all use up their vacation time. They have things they can't roll over, whatever it is. Especially this year, everyone has disappeared. And being on the inside, it's like, whoa, way more people than you know actually go on vacation and, <laughs> and, and they do, they just disappear. So being new to Microsoft, I didn't have a ton of vacation time built up, but I was like, yeah, I'll just let it like build and roll over. Yep. But I was looking at the calendar and everybody else's schedules and what was going on. I was like, you know, at this point, I think I can sneak like four days in and nobody would even notice. Except that you just told everybody. None of my customers would be impacted. Oh, none, of, none of the business processes that I support would, you know, be hurt. Because you know, I said I was going to be around, and now I'm yep. sitting at home playing my Xbox. Got it. Well, hopefully, you can fire up a fire on Christmas, Christmas Eve too. Like you said, kick back, relax. I am actually, I've been working like nuts the last two and a half months or so. So I'm actually going to try to take a little bit more than like Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off here the next week too. I'm in the same boat you are, so. I'm looking forward to trying to figure something out. Yes. And hopefully, again, hopefully it stays cool. We can enjoy some fires and playing outside, that type of stuff. But there is still news coming out. Despite everybody leaving for a couple of weeks, we have some news we can talk about. Yeah. About things you should do and things you should not do. <laughs> Where do you want to start? <laughs> well, we could start with my issue, but that wasn't really one of our agenda items. Oh. Me and my insider fast yes, problems. Yes. Don't install insider fast. I think one of your themes, like not a resolution because people set resolutions and they don't want to solve them, but one of your yearly themes for 2021, if like you step back and think about the way you leverage technology within your life, yep. because technology is an enabler for you, right? It, it is part of your job. It is what oh, absolutely. provides for your family. It's why you have a house with a pool, all those kinds of things. I could make the argument that for calendar year 2021, one of your themes <laughs> should be working towards stability in the tools that support your My business. Daily work. Yes. Because you have a penchant to, I don't know. You could call it an addiction, Scott. You get these inklings to, to do things like run beta operating systems on your everyday carry laptop, your issue today. Let's talk about your issue today. So Insider Fast on Macs, what's going on there? So I installed Insider Fast for Outlook 
Well, hold on, hold on. You didn't install it. You run on the ins on the on the Insider Fast ring all I the time. Run Insider Fast on my Mac of all of my Office applications. So yes. I update these Office applications twice a week. Usually Monday night, <laughs> Wednesday night, updates come out. So Wednesday nights was delayed. I don't know why. I didn't update it till yesterday, like midday. And as soon as I updated it, Outlook crashed. I was like, oh, okay, I'll restart it. So I clicked the little yeah, restart Outlook and it crashes again. I'm in an endless crashing loop of Outlook for Mac right now where it like doesn't even launch. It's like two seconds after I click to open it, it crashes. So I think Microsoft got the picture and realized it. Yesterday it was like, provide feedback. Um, tell us what you're doing, all of that. <laughs> Today, if I click it, they like pushed out some, I'm guessing it renders some iframe or something, some web-based form in the background. Now if I click to open it, instead of being able to fill out feedback about what I was doing, it says, by the way, Microsoft is aware of this issue and a fix is coming shortly. We apologize for any inconvenience and appreciate the use of pre-release builds to help improve Office. I think they maybe got a few crash reports over the last 24 hours. <laughs> Just maybe like one or two. And again, I do have a pension for this. I installed Big Sur when it was in beta, which now that it's kind of stabilized, I did get off the beta version of that. I'm on no longer beta version of iOS, of Mac OS, of iPad OS, IMFest, Insider Build of Office. Oh, the other one, Visual Studio. I was on Visual Studio like the nightly build of Visual Studio Code. I was having all kinds of problems with that. Yeah, that's, and, uh, no, that's not a good place to be. <laughs> a mutual friend was like, you know, you should just install the release build because it works way better. So I installed that and lo and behold, all my problems went away. I think, you know, we, we've been Nightly chatting on the edge. side a, a, a bunch about M1 Max and things like that as well. So it, maybe 2021 is the year that you acquire an M1 Mac and that becomes your beta build. And you use your Intel one as like your day to day, like get the job done thing. And then when you walk away, you take the beta build. And if it crashes while you're on the couch checking your, your email, it's not such I'm an not- impact to your life. Because you were pretty amped up this morning talking about Office being (laughs) broken. I think that is actually like a thing that majorly impacts your day, not having access to your email. Outlook does. I think what tends to fascinate me with these insider fast builds is like, and maybe it's something unique to me, but obviously a bunch of other people had this before, is how did this even get out? Like, I feel like before they would push out a insider fast build, someone would have tried to open it Again, unless there is a unique set of circumstances around like six email accounts or more than five email accounts in Outlook or some extenuating circumstance that wasn't tested, but a lot of people tend to have. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that happens. There's a ton of automated testing that goes on as well. So regression tests on builds and things like that. And ultimately, you know, those may or may not catch everything that you want them to, you know? Yeah. But I do like your idea of an M1. Maybe I should get an Air, like get one of the, what, 799 M1 Airs? Oh yeah, that's because I also want to see could I do my day-to-day work or if we ever start traveling again? Like, would I be happy on an air? Because I have had this thought, maybe I should do like an air and a Mac Mini and go back to the whole two machine model. One for traveling, one that's a little more powerful that sits at my desk. But I want to make sure I'm actually happy working on a 13-inch screen because 
truth be told, I have been working on 15 or larger yet for a long time. I've never tried to do a lot on the smaller screen. And I I like the form factor. I don't know that I like the screen size. I mean, it's like your iPad, right? Running around. So if you like doing things on your iPad, like think about potentially it supplants that as a device. But I do very different things on my iPad than I do on my laptop. I think you do that partly because of form factor, but also because of applications. But now imagine you can run all those applications on your computer. On the form factor. Yeah. I don't know. To be determined, we'll see how that one goes yes. in twenty. My wife is not going to like you if I do that, Scott. But yeah, if like I find that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, I too may buy myself an M1 Mac someday. Maybe we should get each other one for Christmas, and then I didn't <laughs> buy it myself. Scott bought it for me, and then you that... can use the same justification with your wife. Yeah. Hey, honey, I bought Ben a thousand dollar gift, and he bought me one. <laughs> That's going to go really well. Would it go any worse than you telling her that you bought yourself a $1,000 gift? Well, so far that's been going pretty bad for me too. (laughs) Although I haven't bought anything that's $1,000 yet. I think the worst thing that I bought for quote unquote myself this year was an Xbox Series X. Oh. That was a good solid like. Five fifty with, well, yeah. with tax, right? And then I had to buy a couple extra controllers just because I wanted some of the new controllers. I didn't want to pair my old controllers. See, so you're pushing a thousand there. You're no, no, no. I'm, I'm, seven, I'm like six hundred, six twenty-five. If I rationalize it all out, and I get to copy all my old games off all the old things. So, so then that's okay. I'm not, I'm not too, too bad yet. All right. Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running, Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. Visit them at intelligent.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, Intelligent focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. Aside from my problems and my Addiction. I will gladly call an addiction to installing preview and beta <laughs> and any software that is not meant to be run prediction that I can production that I can possibly find. That is a good goal. We could call it a goal too. That could be a good goal of mine. It's got to be a goal or a theme. It cannot be a resolution. I do not. The only resolution stink. I ever make on New Year's is to not make any New Year's resolutions. That's perfect. And I succeed every <laughs> single year. Anyways. That could be argued since I am making resolution. There is also something else that was talked about that, in your and I's opinion, we will not call this one as much of a fact, should not be done. What did you see, and I noticed this week, that we would recommend avoiding based on our previous experiences? Oh, well, Microsoft Authenticator this week came out with an update 
that lets you use it as an autofill provider. Password provider. Autofill password provider. Autofill password provider, yes. Particularly on devices like iOS or Android devices. So you've had this capability where maybe you have like the built-in OS password manager. So yep. in the case of iOS, Safari, it's probably, I have an uh, Android device, so... Chrome? I don't know, maybe. I don't know on an Android device. But, anywho, you, you do have this capability to, to do those kinds of things. Or you've had third-party apps such as LastPass or 1Password, things like that. Which is all well and good. I would make the argument that Microsoft's password manager is decidedly Microsoft-centric, and you do not want to use it for all of your passwords for all of your things. Quite frankly, I don't want Authenticator storing my OTP codes for Twitter because I don't trust Authenticator. It's got some <laughs> rough edges. It does some weird things. You know, we could talk about how, you know, it hasn't had like multi-device capabilities for a long time. Like backups been, you know, a challenge with it. And Microsoft is addressing some of those things. Like they're adding, they are adding syncing for a lot of that stuff as it comes through. But then you've got to deal with, well, is this a personal account? Is a work account? Do I have two accounts in the vault? Like, which one am I signed into? And are they both syncing? Is only one of them syncing? So rough, rough edges, rough edges abound. It's a beta feature, Scott. Speaking of our last conversation, this is still beta. It is a beta feature, which I don't even know like why they did this, but you have to go into the app, turn it on in the app, and then you have to go configure your OS. Like tons of friction there. Good luck getting anybody to use that. I don't know. I know that every time I have to open Authenticator, and I have to open Authenticator a lot to get into like the systems that I need to use, yep. it is like one of the most undelightful experiences that I have all the time. Particularly like with my work accounts, because those are all under AppLocker. So if I get an Authenticator request, I get to face ID into my phone, and then I get to open Authenticator from the push notification, and then I get to face ID into Authenticator, and then it tries to authenticate me, so and it has app blockers, so I get face ID'd into that account, which is awesome. Just to wait for face ID to go off three times to get me all through. It's not fun at all. Yeah, I would I get why they did it because I mean let's face it, there's also a lot of people that people that use simple passwords and don't go out and spend the money or the time to do something like a last pass or a one password. I get why this is maybe trying to lower that barrier to entry and hey, let's all start using password managers. It's free. You don't have to go set it up. You don't have to get another third-party service that you have to configure. But I'm in your boat. I think we said this on the Gadget episode around Thanksgiving. We both use 1Password. 1Password has been doing this for a really, 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 really long time. And they are really, really, really good at it. I do not regret at all paying, I don't know what I even pay, $5 a month, 60 bucks a year, even if it's 100 bucks a year. I will gladly pay that because 1Password really does do a good job. I would be very leery, to your point, about switching to this, especially while it's in beta, and even once it's out of beta, because I felt some of your pain, where you back it up and then you go to restore, and you have to like go set up all your MFA all over again. All the things again, yeah. Which means you have to have all of your backup codes saved somewhere, and I save all my backup codes. I don't know how many other people save all of their backup <laughs> codes. Or you have to hope that your phone works. But yeah, the reliability when setting up a new device or a new computer, one password, 
far exceeds my experience with Microsoft Authenticator. So at this point in time, for me, Microsoft Authenticator is exactly the way you have it. I use it for my Microsoft accounts, my personal Microsoft account, my work Microsoft account, where frankly, I don't even use the password. I just use the passwordless authentication with all of those in Authenticator. Unless, of course, the app doesn't support passwordless, in which case I do still need to use my password. But yeah, I would be very cautious about leveraging this. I tend to look at some of this stuff through the lens. And, you know, this update, I think, is really targeted at consumers. Like it's targeted at Microsoft accounts, not organizational accounts. But, you know, being that they both live in the app, you can see that kind of long timeline, right, where, where that all converges. But there has to be this thing in the back of your head, just like, is it technology that you would give to someone in your life who you know is potentially averse to technology, not able to handle it well? Like I could take like my parents or maybe like my mother-in-law, they, they just want things that work, right? So I can hand them one password and set up their devices and make it so one password is the only place passwords ever go. And from there on out, they're fine. I would be like shocked if I could make that happen with authenticator. And I don't yeah. I don't think I could. And a lot of that is colored by my experience with it. And I hope it gets there. But yeah, nobody should do this just because it supports it. <laughs> right. Well and then like we talked about as well, authenticator is tied to your account. So if yes. I want to share passwords with my wife, we both have to log in with my account on the same mm-hmm. from all of our different apps into Authenticator, which causes a whole other headache on like one password, last pass you can set up multiple accounts and then have different vaults that are shared and different passwords that are shared, different passwords that are personal, set up different security on different vaults. So as kids get older, you can share other passwords with kids while keeping like maybe your Wi-Fi password between your wife and you. There's just a lot more flexibility with some of those other ones. We'll see where this goes, but I can see where they're trying to go with it. I'm not optimistic that it'll get there. Or that anybody should use it. <laughs> there is that part too. There we are. You probably didn't get into cloud engineering to spend hours manually sifting through layers of data or manually creating reports to understand and explain your Azure costs. Neither did the IT pros at ShareGate which is why they built ShareGate Overcast. ShareGate Overcast is an Azure cost intelligence tool that reduces manually monitoring and helps you make cost-efficient engineering decisions. And it can help you lower your Azure bill. ShareGate Overcast scans your Azure environment daily and analyzes your cost data. It automatically identifies cost issues and gives you the insights you need to fix problems fast. Plus, with personalized cost savings recommendations, you can be sure you're only paying for the resources you need. Best of all, you can get ShareGate Overcast free. Find out more at sharegate.com slash ITPro. That's S-H-R-E G-A-T-E dot com slash IT pro. Oh, so we have been critical on Microsoft's features so far this morning. Do we have oh we have time left? Do we have any good news today, Scott? Yeah. Let's get into some happy news. Let's get into some <laughs> happy news. There are a couple of things that I could be excited about. I work as a program manager in Azure Storage. And I think a lot of the times, and, and especially this was kind of like my view of the world coming into this role, storage can be a little bit 
bit boring. It can be static. I need to store stuff. And how does that get done? So what are the updates that could possibly come in a, a product like Azure Storage that are actually exciting? And we had some new releases or some announcements in the month of December which I think are actually really cool and enabling for customers that leverage Azure storage accounts, whether you use those storage accounts for just pure object storage, like maybe you're doing like blobs inside it. If you're doing Azure Data Lake Gen 2 is actually built on top of Blob. It's another protocol and endpoint on top of Blob storage accounts. So when you go create a data lake, you're actually creating just a regular Azure storage account and then there's this additional service and endpoint that kind of gets lit up underneath it. There's all sorts of things going on there. It's not just disks and NIS and all that. But for the month of December, we came out with Azure Storage Blob Inventory. This is a feature that allows customers to configure policy rules around how inventory reports are generated for their storage accounts. So you can go and create an inventory rule and your rule just has a name. You'll choose which type of blobs you want to potentially inventory in there like are you doing like block blobs or page blobs like like what does that look like for you and maybe you want to do some type of prefix filtering on there and you just set up this rule and you click save and then once a day it automatically runs and it'll pop a CSV into a destination of your choice so you'll just like configure like an output path where this CSV should go and the CSV includes your account name it includes the full object name of what was accessed, when it was created, last modified, and also the content length, which is really cool. So if you're doing data lakes today, like let's say you're, you're doing a data lake and you want to inventory your data lake, normally the way that would go is you would need to do a bunch of expensive operations. Expensive potentially in the size of your data lake and number of, op- and number of objects you have in it. Like you have to iterate and enumerate and do effectively what is a list operation in the background. So if you're like enumerating blobs, that might be list blobs, or just listing within your file system for HNS. And that can be time consuming. Like if you have hundreds of millions of objects, it might take like 40 hours to go ahead and list and enumerate every object that's in there, figure out the size of it, the name of it, all those kinds of things. So now this is just built in and ready to go. Like you click a couple of buttons and you get this CSV that pops out. And then at the end, once the inventory report has actually run, you can have it actually send you like events. So it supports event grid. So you can have like an event grid event come through and say your inventory report has run and then you can do other automations off that. Like if you wanted to transform your inventory report somehow, you know, like massage it inside an, an Azure function or some other unit of compute, that is all possible too. So I think this solves like a huge pain point for our customers. Like it's a request we get a lot. We've written a bunch of custom scripts and tooling to help customers do this. You know, there's there's ways to go into Storage Explorer and click a, a single folder and try and figure out the size of it. But there's nothing that that you know spits out a report this cleanly that is just built into the system and now it is built in
which is right. awesome. It looks like it actually gives you the file contents too, like an MD5. Is that an MD5 hash of the content? It'll give you a couple things. If you have, if you've stored the MD5, that's there, but it will always give you the content length, which is what's coming directly out of what you like kind of like streamed into Azure storage. Got it. Very nifty. So you can't, at this point in time, you can't like create custom reports in terms of what you get in the CSV. What you get in the CSV is static. It's all around customizing what gets sent to that CSV or what gets included in the CSV when the report runs. The CSV is pretty fixed in nature right now. Like this is preview, it might change over time. Yep. Things things might get added to it. Like one of the ways that we've approached that is there is maybe other data that you want to understand. Like once you have this report, maybe you want to go and have a report that wasn't every object and every content length, but I want to generate like a Power BI report that say has every folder and the size of every folder, and then maybe be able to expand that out through a slicer to the objects between it, sorted by file size. Because I want to uh-huh. find, you know, like I want to treat it as like a tree view and right. browse through my storage and, and find the biggest stuff. Like, do I have stuff that's sticking around that I need to delete, whatever that is? So, the way that so far we've thought about that one is using a combination of like grid or just Azure functions where it can direct, attach directly to a storage account. It can monitor that location anytime a new inventory report pops in, then go ahead and do that other automation and, and figure things out. Like fire off a flow, got it. build your Excel sheet, or go update your Power BI report, whatever it happens to be. Okay, so use the CSV as more of an inventory and then use that to like do a for loop through it. The CSV is the inventory, yeah. 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 And then once it's there, you can do whatever you want with it once it's there. Like it is just a file that lands in blob storage for you. Got it. It doesn't look like you did mention preview. Scott, you're telling me to go do more preview stuff. (laughs) But it also looks like, well, this is in preview. One, it is free, so you can go play with it. And pricing will determine once it's GA'd. But it is also not available in a ton of Azure regions yet. It looks like if you do want to go spin this up, France Central, Canada Central, and Canada East. So, all of you Canucks. This is currently a preview play around with it feature. Um, and I think a lot of like Azure features are flighted this way, right? Like we talked about like insider rings and things like that. You know, if you think about Azure as a series of concentric rings, like you got to start small and get things out there. So quite often that's baked into kind of the service and, you know, where they think they have like in this case, like for this feature, what it's really doing, like there's effectively like external compute that needs access to your storage accounts. So, you know, if you have like storage account firewalls, you do need to enable Microsoft trusted services, things like that. So while it bakes and you figure out like, well, how much compute does it actually take to run inventory yep. and, and do all those things? So Which you can is, figure out how much it's going to cost. Right. Like, say, that's yeah. probably why we don't have pricing. So they're still trying to com- figure out how much this actually costs to for a customer to run. Yeah. I can tell you this, like if you're a customer today and you go and run an inventory and you're actually doing like a say like a list blob operation and then you're enumerating multiple times with list blobs and you're running all those transactions and you're potentially doing like git blob operations against the blobs, like that is expensive computationally, it is expensive because you're firing off a bunch of HTTP requests and you know potentially transactionally too, right? If you have 10,000 items, like okay, 
you can list that. If you have 10 million or 100 million or hundreds of millions or a billion, then all of a sudden that starts to be a little bit more of a time-consuming process. Yeah, and this is baked right into the blob service. So it's not like you could go spin up this report in France and look at blob storage in the US. You're going to have to have your storage in France or in one of those Canadian regions. Yep. Yep. Regional availability, like you said, is is limited. I would expect like most things that rapidly changes over time. Like we could come back and have this conversation in like three months and that list will be a wider list. I think the other really cool thing about this feature is in my time at Microsoft and kind of like learning about storage, there's been this thing where maybe a feature comes out like, and it's only available for blobs or it's only available for ADLS. Like, this is available for everything. So, it works on premium blob storage accounts. It works on regular blob storage accounts. It works on accounts that have flat namespace or hierarchical namespace, all the things. So, I'm excited to see what customers can do with that one. Got it. Very cool. That does look like you could do some fun stuff with it. I don't do a ton with blob storage, but just from what I've seen, yeah, looks good. Outlook add-ins are a great way to improve productivity and save time in the workplace, and Sperry Software has all the add-ins you'll ever need. The Save as PDF add-in is a bestseller and is great for project backups, legal discovery, and more. This add-in saves the email and attachments as PDF files. It's easy to download, easy to install, and Sperry Software's unparalleled customer service is always ready to help. Download a free trial at sperrysoftware.com, S-P-E-R-R-Y-S-O-F-T-W-A-R-E.com, and see for yourself how great Save as PDF is. Listeners can get 20% off their order today by entering the code CLOUDIT. That's CLOUDIT, C-L-O-U-D-I-T, all one word at checkout. Sperry Software, work in email, not on email. There's one more around blob storage here that you sent this morning around monitoring Azure blob storage as well. So do you want to spend a few minutes and dive into this one? As well? Sure. Or will this one take longer than we want to? That one might take longer, but I do have another storage one that came out this month as well, which I think is really good and like a great customer enabler. And that is storage account recovery. I don't think most, like, unless you monitor the Azure updates feed, you may or may not know that this kind of thing is out there. But storage account recovery gives you the ability through a through the regular support request process to say you accidentally delete a storage account. I'm sure that's never happened. It never. Uh, it happens <laughs> like so much. But you accidentally delete a storage account. You didn't have resource locks on your resource group. You didn't realize that the data. Was was actually that important to you so maybe you didn't have it configured for immutability like whatever it was you didn't have soft delete enabled because you only had soft delete for objects and soft delete for containers was in preview like whatever it was but you went down a path where your storage account somehow disappeared the way that worked in the past was like eh Oh well. Or you might reach out to support and then support may or may not get back to you and tell you like what can be done there. Yep. But now it's been kind of memorialized within the support process that you can go in to perform storage account recovery yourself. So if you delete a storage account and it's like 
30 minutes later, you're going, oh no, what have I done? And you haven't created a new storage account with the same name. The resource group is still there, or the resource group can be recreated with the same name. So think about this maybe as like you're restoring a team site or a SharePoint site. You know how it has to land at the same yep. URL, same path, same kind of thing. Like we want your account to come back and land at the same path. You can just go into the support process and say you would like to recover his deleted storage account. So you do a new support request. It's going to be technical. You select your subscription. You know, what do you want to do? My problem is deletion and recovery. And then you'll get this option to go through a customer controlled solution where you can do a storage account recovery yourself as a customer. You'll select your account to recover and then click a button and it'll kind of restore in the background. There's certainly some rules to this. Like when you delete a storage account, we don't retain that storage indefinitely, right? Yep. Makes sense. There's a garbage collection process that goes on. So you do need to be able to beat that garbage collection process to be able to get everything back. If you're going to do this and this feature specifically, the account has to have been deleted only within the last 14 days. Even if it was deleted within the last 14 days, it may or may not be able to be recovered depending on when garbage collection kind of did its thing. Got it. So garbage collection... It's not a guaranteed thing. You can go and try and recover a storage account. It is Recovery is 100% not guaranteed. Like You're not paying for this service. This is just something that's kind of like built in, right? And and the way the docs call it out, it's a best effort attempt. Another way to think about that might be like commercially reasonable, right? Like if you're asking me to go recover your storage account and all I have to do is run a piece of automation, that's pretty easy. But if I have to go do a bunch of extended recovery, like now that costs me money, but I'm not charging you any money. So really like best effort, right? If the data is there, like you have the opportunity now to get it back yourself. And and I think like that's the empowering thing is it is 100% built into the out of the box portal support experience. Like you don't need to submit a support ticket and actually have that ticket like, you know, take 48 hours to be resolved or things like that. Right. You can just go initiate this yourself. Okay. So that garbage collection then isn't like a rolling 14 days from the time of deletion. It's garbage collection happens at this time, this time, this time, and this time. And based on how that lines up with deletion, it may or may not actually be around. It's a thing that happens in the background. Suffice to say that if it runs, you're not going to be able to recover your data. So the quicker that you realize you have deleted your storage account that should not have been deleted, then you can come back and figure that out. And it doesn't look like they say any restrictions on size, but again, they're also best effort, so... Correct. Yeah. 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 All right. Ultimately, you should do all the other things that prevent the deletion of your accounts in the first place, right? Like, like resource locks should 100% be there. You should consider soft delete capabilities and like built in data protection, all that kind of stuff. Limit permissions so not everybody can just go in and delete a account. Yeah. Limit management plane (laughs) permissions. Absolutely. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. All the things that everybody should be doing, anyways. (laughs) Very cool. Well, it is like I like when they do this because I remember back like in the early, early days of Azure when you started reaching CPU quotas, you had the same type of thing, right? You had to actually go in and just open a support ticket and said, Hey, I need more CPU cores. And then you just kind of sit around and wait for somebody to see the ticket and respond to it. And then they started adding, Oh, now we have a dedicated support request just for increasing CPU cores. 
And it started happening a lot quicker. So as they start putting more of these specific requests in, it is nice. I found that helps with, like you said, the speed of it. It gets to the right people right away so that some of these maybe more frequent, I wouldn't necessarily call them basic, but more frequent support requests can be addressed quicker than people just submitting general support for their random issues. Oh, for sure. So, all right. Well, thanks, Scott. We'll wrap it up for today. Maybe we'll go talk about monitoring Azure Blob Storage in the next episode. I did my two-part on Syntex. You can do your two-part on Blob Storage. Yeah, we can, we can totally talk about monitoring. And we can talk about all the fun stuff we got for Christmas, including brand new M1 Airs. Yes, or, or how Scott played his Xbox Series X into the ground because he was finally allowed to plug it in. <laughs> Which game? Recently, I got back into Shadow of War. Okay, I don't know if you're like a Lord of the Rings fan or anything like that, but there's this uh, series out there. It started with a game called Shadow of Mordor, and then there's Shadow of War. But uh, it's super bloody. Like you cleave orcs in half, decapitate them, all these kinds of things. Like you're effectively trying to invade and and take over Mordor. And I love like hacky kind of games like where you just button mash and you can win because I am not good at any kind of game and if I put this (laughs) thing in easy mode it is totally a button mash game I beat it like maybe last year whenever it came out and I recently started playing it again and I'm like 30 hours into a new campaign and I forgot how much I love it so that is probably what I will waste the majority of my time on although I thought I saw the new game pass like the new Game Pass games were announced and they had some interesting things in there. Plus all the EA play stuff is out. I don't think I'll be I don't think I will be hurting for new games. Yeah, let's pull up Game Pass real quick and take a look. Got it. All right. So are we ending the episode or are we going to keep going for those of you that are in, those people that are interested in our Xbox games? <laughs> oh, we can end and do this one offline. We'll decide later where we're going to end this episode. I am on the fence about getting the new Call of Duty, the Cold War. Oh, just get it. always love Call of Duty. Do you do Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. Yeah, just get it. Okay, for Christmas. If you like those games, right? Like like the Call of Duty franchise has never been, like it's always been self-improving as it gets there. The reason I was asking about Xbox versus PlayStation, the PS5 has that new like inertia controller on the triggers. And Uh one of the things they did in Call of Duty is... They took those triggers. So if you're using like a pistol, you can pull it really yep. quick because it's nice, easy, right? It's, it's a light, right. light weapon. But if you're doing like a sniper rifle that might have some resistance, you'll actually feel the resistance in the really? trigger on the controller. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So another one did you ever play Battletoads on, I think it was the original Nintendo? Yeah. We've been having a lot of fun with the new Battletoads and the new, the new. Did you see? So you got the new Battletoads? Yeah. It's in Game Pass and. But another one that's out there is uh, Streets of Rage. <laughs> you should absolutely like, really, yeah. I um, have go, that on my Wii, but I hadn't seen that it was out on the Xbox. Yeah, go do the new Streets of Rage. It's in that, that should be Game Pass as it well. Should be, it, I mean, I don't buy games for the Xbox, so yes, they should all be in Game, game Pass. <laughs> Rogue Squadron is delightful. Like that's the Star Wars flying around one. Yep. Like if you're into that kind of thing, Battlefront is an awesome, awesome game. It's another Star Wars game. Lots of Star Wars running around our house for some reason. And what's the other one? Minecraft Dungeons is good. Like again, like slapdash, like go ahead and just kind of like fire up a game and play it for a little bit kind of thing. All right. Very cool. 
All right. So should we end on that now? Now yeah. we can end. Yeah, we can. All right. There. Well, go enjoy your Christmas. Enjoy your Xbox. Get some sleep. Don't stay up too late playing games. I will try my best. And we will figure out when to record the next episode so that we can stay on our weekly cadence, considering neither one of us are going to be getting up and recording this at 8 a.m. Christmas Day morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's not happening. But All right. Sounds <laughs> All right. good. Thanks, well, thanks Scott. We'll talk to you later. Yep. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. It helps to get the word out so more IT pros can learn about Office 365 and Azure. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.